It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni with producer Jeremy Kate. September is National Literacy Month. In light of that, we're here today to discuss the importance of adult literacy. Nearly one in five residents of Franklin County are deficient in basic reading, math, and computer skills, which places our region at a greater risk for poor health, domestic abuse, crime, and poverty. Because literacy benefits communities by enriching the economy, lowering health costs, and reducing crime, the Franklin County Literacy Council works to aid low literate adults in our communities in their efforts to increase their literacy and improve their life and employment skills. With us today to talk about adult literacy is Angela Wilt, Program Coordinator for Adult Education at the Franklin County Literacy Council. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Angie. Thanks for having me, guys. Do you prefer to call it Angie? I do, please. Thank okay, you. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, great. So let's get started by kind of defining what is adult literacy and what are the standards that you're trying to get people up to? Okay, that's a great question. So um, a lot of people think that literacy is just limited to reading. Uh, it's actually a lot more than that. Uh, it also includes ling- English language uh, acquisition and learning, being able to comprehend what you're uh, reading, if you have that skill, mm-hmm. uh, math, uh, finances, uh, health literacy. Imagine not being able to read or comprehend what your doctor's orders are, your prescription. Mm-hmm. Uh, health uh, costs in this country are super high simply because there is such a deficiency of understanding what prescriptions are supposed to be on, whether or not they interact with alcohol or other, you know, maybe over-the-counter drugs that, that people are taking, interactions, that type of thing. Um, Computer and digital literacy is also important. The basis of literacy, if you want to break it down to the very basics, is the ability to understand any subject to a level necessary to competently survive in society. So our goal is to empower and lift other people through increasing their literacy in just about any area that they might need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It impacts employment, it impacts housing, it impacts their children. Uh, you know, a child may be able to read, but if they're not getting the support at the, in home, if they don't have a basic fourth grade reading level, um, by the time they exit fourth grade, their chances of having higher literacy levels throughout their lifetime are exceptionally low. Let's talk about how you these standards are measured and how you know when a person gets to that point of literacy. How is this done? At the Literacy Council, what we typically do is we do what is called a pre-assessment and a post-assessment. So when a student comes to our, to use our services, and our services are free, which is kind of cool. Nobody has to pay any money. Mm-hmm. Um, during our pre-assessment, we do have a state-approved, through the Pennsylvania Department of Education, assessments. One is called the TABE test. I don't even know what that stands for. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should look into that. Um, and that is for people who are native English speakers, who maybe have grown up in uh, the United States and have potentially, we hope, graduated from a high school. Many have not. 
Like we have over 10,000 people in Franklin County who do not have a high school or high school equivalency diploma. Mm-hmm. That sincerely is is going to impact numbers. Does that make us in the higher range or the lower range? Or it's not great. Yeah. I mean, it's. I would say we meet the national average of, you know, one in five people have low literacy. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty general, which is sad. Actually, it is. It's unfortunate. I mean, if you think of all the people that you know, one of every five of those people may have issues with literacy. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to tell because they, they create coping mechanisms that... I'm sure they, they yeah. must have coping skills beyond um, our imagination. So the test, the TABE test, the is The TABE test, um, and I'll focus on that one first because it's, that's generally the one that we typically use for people who would be, um, maybe don't have a GED yet. Okay. So that pre-assessment will help us to determine at what grade level they read. So reading is the basis for the information that we use to figure out where they're at. Mm -hmm. From that assessment, we can inform our tutors about where they should start, fourth grade level, sixth grade level, whatever reading level that person is at. We also utilize that test to determine math skill level. So this is the test that we will um, share the results with our tutors so that they can implement a lesson plan and use resources that will help to boost the person at the from where they're at up. Mm-hmm. After they are with our program for 40 hours, between 40 and 60 hours, we will then reassess to determine um, what skills they've improved on. And the ultimate goal is to be able to move them up into the pre-GED classes uh, that our sister program at, at CareerLink um, provides, which is about ninth grade through 12th grade um, skill levels. From that point on, we're hoping that they'll get their GED and move into the workforce in a way that they weren't prepared to earlier. Right. Are these people self-identifying? I mean, how do they come to you? Because I would think, you know, an older adult, this might be pretty humbling. It is. In fact, uh, we have a gentleman in our uh, group who is in his 60s and for various reasons was unable to get a GED. What I've learned and what he shared with me is that many people who cannot read have highly developed coping mechanisms. One of the coping mechanisms that he shared with me was, oh, when we go out to dinner, I forgot my reading glasses. Can yeah, you, you know, sure. I'll just have what they're having. You know, things like that, which are so innocuous that people wouldn't really think anything about Well, they've about been doing that. it for a very exactly. long time. Exactly. And typically they're very visual learners. It's, it, you know, and typically there are people who have, uh, especially with the older um, students that we have, there weren't diagnoses for things like dyslexia or other, you know, ADD or ADHD. It didn't exist. Yeah. Those terms didn't even exist in the 60s and 70s. So, or earlier for right. some of our students. Right. Um, this gentleman specifically has told me that he will watch what someone does. He's, he's been in manual labor and uh, manufacturing for most of his career. He's still in the workforce because every time he does it, he has a wonderful work ethic. Mm-hmm. But every time that he would exceed a manager's expectations and they would want to promote him, he would find himself in the position of having to quit the job and go somewhere else because he didn't want to admit, I'm oh, sorry, so, but I can't read. That is unfortunate. It is exceptionally unfortunate. And so this this is, this is the type of life situation uh, our students face. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a high percentage of 
non-native English speakers. And so we call them English language learners or English as a second language. The ESL, a lot of people are familiar with that little tag. Sure, English as a second language. Right. Now they will come to our country and again, massively impressive work ethic. They're working, a lot of them work in the manufacturing companies here in town mm-hmm. or close by. And because of different circumstances, some of them are highly educated in their home countries and others never made it past second or third grade. So you're seeing a full spectrum of individuals. We do. We absolutely do. And we don't have, with English language learners, we don't have information regarding whether or not they have a learning disability, Mm -hmm. if they're literate in their own language, let alone, you know, they're trying to learn a new language. Do you need to test them in their own language? We do not. We test them in English. We do not teach classes in any other language but English because that's what they're here to learn. What we typically do is use a different form of assessment called CASAS, Mm -hmm. and that determines what level of English language acquisition they've already accumulated, and then we take it from there. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have a screening process, an intake orientation process for both non-native and native English speakers that uh, we do ask them, what was the last grade you completed in school? Uh, did you go to a U.S.-based or a non-U.S.-based? It's, it's not very invasive. It's just we want to get a, f- a feel for where they are educationally so that we can support their goals moving forward. Right, of course. Many times they're coming in, we're the first faces that they see, and they, they're not always forthcoming or don't understand the question right off. Oftentimes, they'll, once they have an established relationship with their tutor, those types of things will begin to be revealed. Are you meeting them halfway with the language barrier? Well, here's the thing. All of our volunteers are, all of our tutors are volunteers, I should say. All of our tutors are volunteers. So I'm not going to, if I were to say, okay, I can only take Spanish people who can speak Spanish or French, that's not really fair because we have people coming from Vietnam, Belarus, right. I imagine it could Brazil. be from anywhere. They do. And so speaking only in English is a it's an leveling immersion of, program yeah. then. Yeah. It's an immersion. It's three hours a week. They come twice a week for an hour and a half each. And so it is immersive. And when there is a barrier, I do encourage my tutors to not use these, I should say our tutors, sorry. I do encourage our tutors to use uh, Google Translate if you just can't, if you just can't get it through. Well, there are times with a foreign language speaker when you're not getting across and you need to. Especially with lower level language Mm -hmm. learners, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they do improve quickly. Mm -hmm. Some of them do, which is a blessing for them. Mm -hmm. Imagine, um, you know, imagine having these wonderful skills that you've learned in your home language. I'm going to give you another example. This young man came to us last year. He was uh, from South America, a country in South America, where he was an apprentice uh, for an electrician. And he came here and he wants to become an electrician here. However, his training in his home country doesn't apply here. There's no certification from another country that is going to meet you know, U.S. standards. So his goal was, and he had, he was very fluent in English. He was not confident speaking it. As we began to assess him and realized how high his math skills were, how high his language skills were, reading and speaking, we were able to coach him very quickly and move him up into 
the pre-GED classes at CareerLink, and he has now, he's going for his GED so that he can get into career tech to take their electrician certification program. Mm, great. He has already, the last I heard, uh, completed his math section of the GED test and was working on his uh, social studies section of it. Mm-hmm. I've not had an update recently, so he may have passed that already as sure, well. Sure. Our goal is to help people meet their goals. That's our mission. Let's talk about the negative impacts of illiteracy. Uh, what are some of the societal costs and, and impacts from non-literacy? Low literacy has, and I think we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it really does, imp- it impacts crime. It impacts poverty. If It impacts recidivism a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was t- speaking with someone who runs a facility for people coming out of the prison system, and she said most of the people she deals with in her uh, reentry program mm-hmm have less than a third grade reading level or a third grade in school period. It's going to be exceptionally difficult for someone with such a low comprehension and reading level to find sustainable employment. It's just another barrier. It's, it's, it's Yes, it's absolutely a barrier. Beyond having to write down on their employment application. Uh, if they can even read it. Right, even if, if they Good can point. even fill it out. Um, we have several people who, um, I was speaking to a couple of uh, colleagues at CareerLink, just another anecdotal example, who would have people in their late 20s, early 30s come in and say, I don't have an email. How do I fill out an application online? How can I find a job online? And most people have the idea that that age bracket should be pretty Right. Savvy they're with technology. To be the ones ahead of us. Exactly. Uh, but they're not. Mm-hmm. I've witnessed for myself there was a young man who had come to volunteer for a short period of time with us who could not keyboard. He, he could use his thumbs for his phone, but he could not keyboard mm-hmm. for a computer. That's going to impact um, many different forms of job, mm-hmm. right down to being a server, if you, you know, just real quick. Sure. So there's a massive economic benefit to us all uh, that your literacy program survives and thrives. Yes, yes. <laughs> Do you see this as a generational problem? Because I would imagine a household where the children don't learn to read, the parents never emphasize reading and maybe can't read themselves. That's absolutely correct. Because if you have a low literate adult, they're not going to have the wherewithal to read a book to their child why have media around that you're not going to use? So children in homes with low literate parents have very low exposure to books, mm-hmm. to reading materials. They don't frequently go to libraries because why go to get something that you aren't able to utilize? Right. So children, even if they learn to read at home, don't have the support at home in order to boost their own skills. So you're going to find that generational, okay, low literacy. And and that doesn't mean education isn't important to them. It just means that they're hitting that barrier and maybe don't understand where they can get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, imagine the, the embarrassment of saying, I can't read. I would think that would be the biggest part of it, not being willing to admit that because it's so shameful. Yeah. And having to overcome that to make sure your kids don't have to go through that. How, how does one get through 
any of our public school system and not learn to read? I mean, maybe I lack for imagination, but how does that happen? That is a wonderful question that I don't have an answer to. Right. In fact, if you'll bear with me, I have a story yeah, that it was it personally impacted me and opened my eyes at a very young age. I had a neighbor when we were growing up who I she was just a wonderful person. Um, I'm going to call her out. Her name was Miss Deb. And we had a really great relationship and I had written something in school. And I wanted her to read it. So I took it over to her. I love to read. I love to write. It's just something that's always been important to me. I took it over to her and we sat on her back porch. And I said, read what I wrote. I think it was, I was maybe in eighth or ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, honey, I can't. I can't, I can't read. And this is a woman in her late thirties and it blew me away. She had a high school diploma. She was a great mom. You know, you obviously have to be able to read to know how to cook. She was a pretty good cook, too. But it blew me away that somebody could have a high school diploma and still not be able to fill out their own job application or read a note from their kid's teacher or name it. Um, I have another good friend currently who, who struggles with some learning barriers, who's trying to get their uh, driver's license and can't pass it because it's very difficult for them to read. Um, there really isn't any area of our lives that isn't impacted by low literacy in some way, shape, or form. If it's not reading, maybe low math skills. And I'm not going to lie, math and I do not get along. I probably could not pass a math GED test right now. I'm right there with you. Right? So, I mean, we all have our talents and we all have our skills, but there are some skills that are absolutely necessary to thrive. And that's... Um, that's really what we're trying to do. I know you guys had, uh, was it Amy Hicks or Amy Wibley? Both. Okay, great. They are amazing. We love the Amys uh, who, who came and talked to you about Alice. And when they presented this information uh, to a group that I was with. Uh, well, before we get go yeah. down there, let's kind of define Alice. And yes, absolutely. Listen to last week's show. Yes, do, do that. that. Please do that. Please do that. For those that didn't, uh, the United Way of Pennsylvania launched a statewide data project called Alice, which stands for Asset Limited, Income Constrained, and Employed. Which basically means people who are working their butts off and still can't make ends meet. They They're barely the surviving. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love the way that they had presented this information to the group I was with. They said, you know, and we're right there with them. We want people to thrive, not just survive. And, lo- you know, increasing literacy is a large part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to give the people skills to improve their employment opportunities, their education opportunities. And just enrich their lives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one thing that, that kind of staggered me as I was looking at the statistics uh, of poverty level and the Alice level for Chambersburg, Waynesboro, some of our larger communities in Franklin County, 44% for Chambersburg Borough, 51% for Waynesboro Borough. Now, tell us what that means. What does 51% mean? 51% of that population, and that population for the Waynesboro Borough is 4,743 4, people. This was in 2017. Of that 4,743 people, 
51% of them are living at survival or lower okay, thank you. living wages. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of families in desperate situations. Mm-hmm. Now, can we magically fix things for them? No. There has to be effort. And, and you did ask earlier, are they self-identifying? They have to be. Yeah. There's no way for us to go out and say, oh, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Okay, Pete, are, you're, you're low literate. Mm-hmm. I can't look at somebody and tell you uh, if, if they're literate, if they're bilingual or not, mm-hmm. what they're struggling with in their lives. Um, I have a question. If you have people come through your doors, um, they have a diagnosable, um, they are dyslexic or something like that. Can you, do you have services for them? Are you able to work with them or do you, do you send them somewhere? It depends. We take that. That's a good question. I appreciate that question. Our organization is not perfectly designed. We, right. we Again, we have volunteer tutors. These are not necessarily people who were ever <clears throat> in the education field, and even those who were, and a great number of them were, were not special education teachers. Uh, we do provide professional development for all of our tutors, and we do have some who are tutoring people with dyslexia and other uh, diagnosable, not technically diagnosed, mm-hmm. it is almost impossible, just a side note, it is almost impossible to get an, an actual diagnosis for an adult. That has to happen in school. The, they're yeah. designed to help people with that. And these, these students of ours, these adult learners coming to us at the ages that they are now, were never diagnosed because, again, those services did not exist. Now, there are some people that we can work with, and we have dedicated tutors who seek out information and strategies to help those students. It is highly uh, difficult to say, absolutely, we're going to have a 100% success rate, because again, we're breaking down old coping mechanisms that have right. been with them for 50, 60 and years. And they have worked up to yeah. a point. Correct. Yeah. They've decided how they learn and, and it's difficult. high school. Exactly. Do you, if it did. Yeah, if it did. Do yeah. you market out or reach out to social service organizations or <clears throat> how do you kind of reach out to the community to offer your services and kind of draw these people out of the shadows, you might say? A lot of what we do... I'll, I'll tell you, we don't really recruit students because we don't need to. We're actually You're currently, busy. yeah, we're currently working on a wait list. But like I said, we are predominantly English language learners in this specific Chambersburg community. Mm-hmm. Now, you reach out into Waynesboro, Greencastle, Shippensburg, whichever town you are in Franklin County, that statistic may change. There may be more of a need for adult basic education in other communities. Currently, we are in the process of reaching out to those communities and making connections and finding tutors in those areas willing to work with either adult basic education or English language learners, whoever needs their help. Mm -hmm. We really don't have to recruit because there is such a need. That's interesting. But the fact that most of the people are English language learners should communicate that a lot of people without a GED who maybe are a little older aren't really coming to the forefront. We do reach out to uh, SAM and several of the other human services. And what uh, is SAM? Oh my gosh. System Access <clears throat> Management, I believe. They work okay. with, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I don't know all the acronyms all yet. Right. You just um, need to know what they do. <laughs> yeah, so what they do is, by my understanding, they facilitate 
um, services for people with maybe mental health, okay. intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, helping them to get the services that they need. So we do get referrals from them. They, they're aware of us. Uh, ARC is also aware of us. Human services are typically aware of us. So we do get many referrals. We actually have doctor's offices on occasion mm. who will you know, Google us and say, oh, hey, yeah, here, here's. Go here. But most people will either find us on Franklin County LiteracyCouncil.org on our website. We get a lot of uh, contact from the public through that contact system or word of mouth from our other mm-hmm. students. That's that's a lot of, of how we So it sounds like the referrals. word is out and it's working. Yes. That's good to hear. Now, you uh, have a new initiative you're working on. Yay. Yes, we Let's are. Let's talk about your new initiative. <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't have a name. <laughs> Uh, I see the name here, Adult Education for All Initiative. Yeah, but that sounds so corny. I think I might change it. I don't know. (laughs) But but because we do want everyone to have that those opportunities in life we want to be able to provide adult basic education and English language learner uh, opportunities for those who need it. So because of limited resources that we have right now, like I, I kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago, our goal is to get out into each community one at a time because we have one full-time person and two part-time people that are paid in our office. The rest are volunteers. We have a wonderful advisory board who, who built of volunteers who help us to get out into the community. But our goal right now is to reach out into... Shippensburg, Waynesboro, Greencastle, Mercersburg, Fort Loudon, Blue Ridge Summit, all of the areas that we don't have connections with currently. Mm -hmm. Maybe we did in the past, but I'm a change of management. I've only been here about 19 months. So I'm reconnecting with old resources and trying to create new ones with people in each of the communities Mm -hmm. to help us grow our impact and grow our reach. So what I'll be doing on September 28th is holding a tutor training session. This is for people who are interested in learning more about becoming a volunteer tutor. There's actually a video about volunteering on our website. And give your website out again. Yeah, it's franklincountyliteracycouncil.org. And that is uh, September 28th. 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in the Coil Free Library. That's Is that correct? correct. That's correct. We're looking for people who are retired. We're looking for people who are still working. As long as they're willing and have a heart for service and have a passion for helping people to help themselves, those are the qualities I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who want to really help make a difference in our community because this has a generational impact. Low literacy does, but so does literacy. And it's going to change a person's life. It does. And I'll tell you what, my first experience with the literacy council was as a tutor. And I, you know, I was very cocky. I was, you know, still in my thirties <laughs> and, uh, I thought, my gosh, I have a chance to change somebody's life and this is super exciting. And they changed my life more than I ever changed. Oh, theirs. interesting. Just getting an opportunity to meet people from other countries or even from our own hometown, hearing their stories and listening to the struggles that they've overcome already in life, Mm -hmm. helping them to be inspired to continue their goals inspires the tutor as well. It's humbling. It's really one of the most meaningful and powerful forms of service that I personally have ever done. 
So in this program, you have a number of goals and priorities. Ah, uh, yes. Let's talk about that. Okay. What is the overall goal? The overall goal of the Literacy Council or of the initiative? Of the initiative. Of the initiative is to get the Franklin County Literacy Council services into every single community in Franklin County. First goal, the first priority of this initiative is to recruit and train the tutors. And secondary is to find the space to be able to accommodate what I'm hoping will be a mass exodus of people who need us. Because <laughs> I really want, we really want to make sure that everyone who needs us has access to us. Right. There are three large barriers for all of our adult education students. One is transportation. Franklin County doesn't have public no, transportation. We really don't. If you can't get to where you need to go, or if it's not within walking distance, it's going to be difficult to get the service. Mm-hmm. Second, work. Work schedules are bonkers in this area. With all of the first, second, third swing shifts, you name it, mandatory overtime, mm-hmm. it impacts our students' ability to get to class. So if you're working a 12-hour shift and you got to run all the way out to Chambersburg from Waynesboro, you're probably not going to make your class on time. Do you ever collaborate with employers in individual instances? Because it's going to benefit the employer if you know that employee shows up and is literate. We have tried to reach out. Uh, we are actually currently providing at Manitowoc Crane in Greencastle an ESL uh, class on site, oh, which is ex- exceptionally great. I mean, Manitowoc has been so amazing to work with. Oh, well, benefits very, them directly. Exactly. And the goal is to make sure that, that the skills that they need for safety, you know, if you can't understand what's oh, posted sure, for yeah. safety, you're... They, they do have a very large non-native English-speaking uh, employee, employee base. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, it was a smart fit, and they were willing to be able to do that. Unfortunately, we have reached out to a few other manufacturers who are on board, but they don't make the final decision. Somebody out west or right. out midwest Corporate makes... headquarters. And they're like, nah, just hire translators. Well, that's not solving the problem. That's a Band-Aid. It's really more like... A piece of toilet paper. <laughs> it's really right. not, it's not gonna, solving the not problem. Where are the tutoring sessions taking place typically? Currently, we have some at the library. So we are we are actually in the lower level of the Coil Free Library here in downtown Chambersburg, which is much more accessible to our students than our previous location. It's walking distance. It's well within walking distance, mm-hmm. and many of them come to the library for other reasons. So wonderful. I love the new Coil Library. Yeah. Uh, we also have sites at churches. Uh, we have Grand Point uh, allows us to meet in one of their rooms on a weekly basis. We have one at Trinity Episcopal that meets on a weekly basis. So churches, uh, reaching out to churches is another part of our goal, a part of our priority list. So along with recruiting tutors, you're space. also reaching out, you know, <laughs> give up some space so yeah. that uh, this, this can be accommodated because it sounds like the need is there. The need is And there. the people are showing up. Yes, and what is your, this priority two, this one sounds uh, like a challenge, identify and serve students in need. Correct. So the- when we get the volunteers in place and trained, 
when we get these tutors, we have an army of tutors, tutors ready to go. We actually have a wait list right now that we can, boom, give you students. Uh, but letting people know that we are now accessible in their area is the focus of priority two. So Waynesboro, they, they may know that we exist. They may not. You know, getting our, our information out, letting them know we're available, letting them know that these services are here for them and letting them know how to access them. We also have a wonderful student coordinator. Her name is Tara Stewart, who helps with barrier support. So for people who might have transportation issues, might have babysitting issues, childcare is another barrier. Yeah, that would be a big one. Um, she's there and able to help them to address those barriers and maybe find alternatives so that they can come to class. She's their main point of contact. Mm-hmm. So um, I, my sole responsibility as a program coordinator for this specific initiative is to get out, get the space, get get the tutors trained, get the volunteers in and trained. And then she will be the one saying, okay, come to me. I will help you. I will place you. What kind of time commitment do our tutors looking at in terms of learning how to become tutors and then actually doing the tutoring? That is a great question. And I am going to be completely honest. It's a little daunting with the training. Uh, the Pennsylvania Department of Education is our main grantor. So a volunteer tutor teaching on their own would be required to have a, tu- uh, have a four-year bachelor's degree. I don't care what the bachelor degree is in, but that is the Pennsylvania Department of Education's requirement. A lot of people are really put off by that, and I completely understand because there are people who may not have that bachelor's degree but have wonderful amounts of life experience. Yeah, I know some very, very intelligent people that don't have a BA. Same, absolutely. However, I strongly encourage people to not let that guide them elsewhere because we can do co-tutoring. We can place somebody with a tutor who might already have that bachelor's degree. We can also utilize people in what we call a classroom aid situation. So they're still tutoring with uh, a paid instructor on the other side of our adult education program. Maybe they're really good at math and they Mm -hmm. can be helpful to someone who needs to catch up a little in that class. Um, or they're really good at English or writing or financials. You know, they're, right, they're any great. number of different things. Yeah, exactly. A couple of things that we have in a development right now are designed to be community classes. And we'll get to that in a minute because I, I want to address your, your first question. It's about eight hours of online modules to train to be a tutor, and then we do ask that tutors continually participate in professional development, whether it's a one-hour webinar every other month or so. I am always sending out information to our tutors. Uh, we have wonderful resources in uh, through ProLiteracy, uh, a couple of state and nationwide access uh, to the Coalition for Adult Basic Education, it's called uh, COABE. Okay. And then there's uh, Pennsylvania Adult Continuing Education, which is PACE. Uh, they have wonderful resources and they do uh, monthly webinars that we have access to that we share with our tutors. And as we interact with our students and our tutors and we recognize that there might be a specialized need for our agency specifically, we'll seek out information and do a small short workshop that will help them to 
you know, develop a skill or a strategy for their classrooms that they might find helpful in their specific situations. It seems uh, at odds that you have a wait list, but the state of Pennsylvania has put up this barrier of the BA to tutoring. I, I would think that if you got to do eight hours of modules, you either can do it or you can't. Right. Well, and along with the eight hours of modules, you're also doing a two-hour orientation with me. You're filling out a comprehensive application through the Lincoln Intermediate Unit website. We have to require, and this is a state law, this is not our requirement, the background checks. And most any volunteer organization requires that now. So, but even that will, will, you know, somebody maybe just moved here from Ohio or Maryland and, oh, by the way, you have to pay $22 for your FBI background check because you haven't lived in Pennsylvania for 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't reimburse that. So there, there are many things that, that might deter people that are inconveniences, and I recognize that. But those inconveniences are so nominal compared to the rewards of doing this work. So even if you don't have the BA, you can do the co-tutoring. You can do the co-tutoring. You can work with the uh, community classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now we have a Google Applied Digital Skills focused uh, computer class that we're doing once a month at Coil Library. It's kind of a pilot thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at doing a few other uh, ones, an English language workshop that is potentially starting in October. I'm not going to give many details about that right now because we're still getting things in place. But um, just different things that we're partnering with libraries with that we're seeking partners out to help. And we need need volunteers to help us facilitate these programs. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have a bachelor's degree for those. There's a place for you, for sure. Correct. You do need to have a high school diploma. And if you don't have that, then we can help you in another way. <laughs> but um, Is the training the same for these opportunities? Not, it's not as strict. With mm-hmm. the tutors, we have to be exceptionally on point um, so that if we are audited or if somebody asks, you know, comes in to, to observe that our tutors are where they need to be educationally and structurally. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do have to meet those state standards. I can proudly say that all of our tutors are amazing people. They are on point. Sure they they are. do great. They're so creative. They're so willing to help. But we need more of them. We need more people like them. I wish I could clone them. They're amazing. <laughs> How many tutors um, do you have right now? We currently have 12 tutors, which, as you can tell, for a county-wide <laughs> full of more. need, is not quite enough. So we, we do we do need well, more yeah, tutors. Well, you have 12 tutors and a wait list. So. And a wait list, which I will say just occurred. We have been doing very well about making sure that people are served. It's, it's just been the past couple of months. We've had such an influx of new students that we just can't meet the need right now. Sounds like the word is out. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I hope for good reasons, too. <laughs> So that's, uh, if we want to give the times and dates of the training again. Absolutely. Um, that is Tutor Training 101 Fall Session coming up September 28th. And that's actually the day we are releasing this podcast. So that's today. Oh, awesome. Okay, so <laughs> let me just throw this out Well, hold out on, there. everybody. <laughs> 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Coil Free Library. Get in the car yes. and get there. Right? right? <laughs> like walk or bike, whatever you got to do. <laughs> I'll fly if you have to. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to meet you. But um, 
We are doing uh, the training session on the 28th because it wraps up Adult Education and Family Literacy Week. I'm not, I don't think we mentioned this before, but September is National Literacy Month. Mm-hmm. And so the 23rd through the 29th is, is Adult Education Family Literacy Week. So we wanted to kind of wrap up this entire amazing month with the opportunity to get involved with adult education by providing a training for anybody interested. If you miss the event, you're still able to uh, oh my to gosh, volunteer yes. and train for nope. to be a tutor. Of course. So absolutely. The opportunity is still there. If, even yes. If you miss it. And you know, yeah. it's really easy to find us. If you go onto our website, franklincountyliteracycouncil.org, hit contact us. Those emails come straight to my email. So I always see those. If they're not for tutors or volunteer information, I forward them to the correct people. But you can always reach out to me. Again, my name's Angie Wilt. And you can uh, email me at ajwilt, W-I-L-T, at iu12.org. Or give me a call at 717-504-4459 and I am extension 3504. Or just stop by. We're open from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. If you need to come in later, just call me and make an appointment. Okay, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and you're doing great work out there. I know you're changing people's lives for the better. We try. Just come on in and we'll, we'll try and help. Yep. All right. Thank you and thank everyone for listening. Find us online at progresspod.org.